Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. Because we want to be a part of the solution and not uh, spread the problem, we are having all of our services be online for the foreseeable future. So thank you for joining us. Thank you uh, for watching or listening wherever you are. And I hope we get to see you again very soon. Welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad that you are joining us whenever you are joining us, me actually, uh, and wherever you are watching from. If you normally watch online, this probably isn't anything new for you except maybe a few different camera angles. If you normally join us live, thank you again for taking time out of your day to um, watch and listen maybe if you're doing the podcast. But uh, thank you for understanding that we are trying to be as careful and cautious as possible in these interesting times. And so what you're watching right now is uh, part six of a series that we're calling So What About? And uh, one of the fun things about doing this completely online is that uh, we can try a few different things. Like we can actually like do an online wave right now. So try this. Ready? Camera one, camera two, camera three, camera three, camera two, camera three, camera one. Isn't that fun? All right. Anyway, so in this series, we're going through a few questions that people have about uh, Christianity, about um, Jesus, about God, and using it as a way to explore, a way to ask questions. Cross Creek is a church designed for people who don't normally go to church, and so we want to be able to explore any questions, even doubts, people have about faith. And as we go through this series, we've, we've often talked about uh, certain rules, not like religious rules, but rules we have for this series, where, um, you know, there's some issues in uh, theology or Christianity that are major, like who is Jesus, the identity of Jesus, uh, his death and resurrection. Those are major things. There's other things that uh, we can debate about and have questions about and um, have different opinions about. And what we've been saying is you can disagree and still be in the same family. And that's one of the things that I kind of want to keep in our mind as we talk about our topic for this series, for this message, heaven. Because there's so many different ideas about heaven and different questions about heaven. And so what I want to do is create a framework, a framework that we can look through about, you know, what is heaven? What is the important idea of heaven? And I think this, this idea of heaven actually is really important for right now. For the, the situation that we find ourselves right now with society kind of being a little crazy, um, a lot of worry, maybe some fear. And this idea of heaven, I think, will actually give us a good perspective to look at our current situation and look at our world and even look at our neighbors and how we can love better. In fact, this idea of heaven really is why Jesus followers don't need to be fearful right now, don't need to be anxious right now, don't need to be worried right now. We, and it's, it's this idea of heaven is why we can love right now instead of just hunkering down and taking care of ourselves and stockpiling toilet paper and, and sponges and whatever else you guys have stocked into your pantries. We don't need to do that. And that heaven is one of the main reasons why we don't have to. And if you're not a Jesus follower and you're watching this or listening to this, that's awesome. We have designed this entire church, including this online environment, just for you, with you in mind. And so with this idea of heaven, I want to show you why you can live without fear right now. Why you don't have to fear uh, a virus or uh, economic stuff or anything like that. There is no need for fear. Now, when we talk about heaven, most of us, 
whether you're a Jesus follower or not, believe there's more to this world, there's more to us than just what we see here. In fact, the phrase, my body, think about that. We say, oh, you know, it's my body. I, I can do whatever I want with it. It's, it's, it's mine. It's my body. Saying my body implies that there's a my inside that body, right? This body belongs to something or someone other than what that body is. There's more than what we can actually see. And so the, the natural question to that is what happens to the me when this body dies? What, what, where does it go? What happens to it? In fact, 80% of Americans believe in some kind of afterlife. 80%. And, with, and 68% believe in an actual heaven. 68% of Americans believe in an actual heaven. And that's actually gone up in the last few decades. And there's a lot of ideas of what heaven is, right? Uh, there's the, the classic idea of when, when, when we die, we become a, a chubby, naked baby with wings and a harp, and we float on clouds. Uh, maybe you've, you've watched the show The Good Place, and uh, heaven in there, The Good Place, is where you get everything you want, right? And any desire you have, you automatically get it, and there's, there's a Janet to give you everything that you, you need. Uh, other people have, have described heaven as like a constant worship service with song after song after song after song. Doesn't that sound so great? And it, it can be fun to, to imagine and speculate about heaven, what it would be like, but at some point, this, this question becomes personal, doesn't it? It becomes a personal question. What happened to my family member when they died? Where'd they go? What will happen to me? When, I, not if I die, but when I die? How do I, how do I get to heaven? How can I be sure? Can I even be sure that I would go to heaven? Who goes to heaven? Who doesn't? There's a lot of questions, a lot of opinions, and even anxiety about what happens after we die. So I think it's a good idea to look at what Jesus and what the New Testament writers said about heaven. And as we do that, as you, as you stick with us, stick to the end, uh, you, here's what we're going to discover. Heaven isn't what most of us think it is. It's actually better. Heaven isn't what we usually think it is. It's so much better. And I want to show you that. And I want to show you that by, by uh, looking at the big idea. First, we're going to start looking at the big idea of heaven as presented in the New Testament writings. And we're going to do something a little bit unusual for Cross Creek. Usually we take, you know, one thing Jesus said or one thing Paul or Peter said, and we kind of dissect that and, and see what that means for us. Tonight, because this topic is so big and there's so many opinions, we're going to do a lot of different uh, verses from the New Testament. Now, normally I would say, you know, if, if, a, if a message like this just takes a whole bunch of Bible verses, don't trust it. But with this topic... Um, it's kind of what we need to do. We need to get the whole idea of heaven from the New Testament writings. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, again, thanks for watching or listening. Some of these ideas might sound crazy. I understand that. This whole, there's a life after death type of thing, and we can know what it's like and all that. That can seem crazy, but I, I, I can't see you. I probably don't know you that well personally, but I know you consider yourself an open-minded person, Right? So let's use that open-mindedness and just at least explore the idea of heaven. I'm giving you permission to explore that it might be true. You don't have to agree with everything I say. You don't even have to agree that it is true. But maybe it could be true. Give yourself that permission. I'm, I'm giving you that permission. 
And so the view is, the view of heaven for the New Testament writers, for Jesus, was that heaven and earth, the spiritual and the physical, are basically twin halves of reality. If, for me, calling them uh, dimensions actually helps. You know, there's, there's the spiritual dimension, and then there's the physical dimension. And they're both real. They're both there. They're kind of twin halves of, of what is real, of our reality. Both are very real. Both coexist at the same time. Now, the Christian idea is this, that when our bodies die, our soul, our me's, our my's, right, the thing that's inside this body, the part that's actually us, survives. When the body dies, the soul survives and relocates to the heavenly or the spiritual dimension. It lives forever in the spiritual dimension. But see, the point of heaven for Jesus and the early Christians wasn't just to to get through this life in this body and then, you know, we'll die because we're waiting to go to this magical place after death. See, that's usually what we, what we think when we think of heaven. But that's, that wasn't it for the early Christians, for, for Jesus himself. See, the idea of heaven in the New Testament writings, the idea of heaven for Jesus is always relational. It's always about a relationship. The main idea is always about humanity and God living and enjoying, enjoying an eternal relationship together. Much like the idea uh, presented in in the first book of the Jewish scriptures, Genesis, whether you believe it's an allegory or a true history or not, but the idea of Adam and Eve, how they were created in this perfect relationship with God, where God would actually walk through that Garden of Eden with them on a daily basis. That type of relationship, that's the idea of heaven, according to the New Testament writers. This this idea, see, see the hope of the early Christians wasn't simply going to heaven when we die. It was getting to be with God forever. That was the true hope. Not just getting to, go, to die and have all your needs met, but the true hope was getting to be with God in a perfect eternal relationship forever. An ultimate resurrection and restoration. In fact, uh, Jesus' best friend, when he became an old man, he had this vision of heaven. And this is, this is how he described it. Then I saw a new heaven. This is kind of at the, at the end of the world. Jesus comes back, starts everything new. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain or sickness. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Isn't that cool? Isn't that just a a great picture? Like even if you don't believe it's true, don't you kind of wish it were? Don't you kind of hope that is? what it's like, 
of being this taken care of child of God, living with him for eternity, seeing his face. And here's the idea. He said uh, in, in this passage, he said that uh, God will dwell, will live with his people. The, the word there is, is an interesting word. It's the word tabernacle. I know. Tabernacle, which goes back to the, the um, ancient Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And the tabernacle was what the ancient Jewish people had as um, kind of their, their temple, their, their place where, where God dwelt, where the priest would go in and offer sacrifices to God. This was the pl- place on earth where heaven met humanity. That was the tabernacle where God himself would come to earth and be with his people. And so when it says he will live with them, the word there is tabernacle. He will tabernacle with them. His presence will be with his people. But the idea of heaven wasn't just something that would take place in the future. This idea of tabernacle wasn't something that would just take place in the future someday when we're all dead. It was something that has already begun and something that is actually happening now. See, heaven has already, according to the, to the New Testament writers, the first Christians, heaven has already started breaking through to earth. And it's steadily advancing, gaining ground, becoming more and more heavenly on earth. And the starting point, and this is very important, so come back in, get your snack, get your beer, come back. The starting point of all of this was Jesus. See, according to Jesus himself and the New Testament writers, Jesus is the perfect fusion of heaven and earth. The perfect tabernacling, which isn't a word, but it is now. See, here's here's what Jesus' best friend wrote when he was describing Jesus coming to earth. So the word Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He made his home among us. You know what that phrase actually says? He tabernacled with us. God himself came to earth in a body, Jesus, and he lived with us. He was with us daily. We, they, they saw his face. Jesus was the beginning of heaven coming to earth. And his resurrection, the whole point of Christianity, his resurrection was the first, the, the beginning of the end of God's plan to restore humanity and all of creation. In fact, here's what, how the Apostle Paul describes it. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. See, Jesus is the starting point. You see, just as death came into the world through one man, talking about Adam and and the first sin, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, we're all humans, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised first, was raised as the first of the harvest. He, began, he started it. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So the idea, again, it wasn't just to, to sit around trying to stay out of trouble until we get to go to heaven, trying to be as comfortable as we can until we die and we get to go to heaven. It is so much better than that. 
Heaven has already come to earth and is now bringing resurrection and restoring God's creation to what it was designed to be in the beginning. All of which would culminate in Jesus coming back and bringing a new heaven, bringing a new earth that were completely together. No more separation. So the idea of heaven isn't to escape this world, but to begin restoring it now through Jesus. See, heaven wasn't designed so we just get out of here and just kind of hunker down in our own home or in our own little small dark church and wait till we die and go to heaven. The point is to bring heaven to earth now, something that started with Jesus's resurrection. It's why Christians are called to love each other and to love their neighbor, to bring that love of heaven to this world now. Now, as we, as we talk about heaven, there's a lot of questions, and we kind of gave an overview. And so I want to address some of these questions quickly, and hopefully we hit your question. If we don't hit your question, well, it was a bad question. I'm just kidding. You can email us at, uh, what is it, office, what is it? Info at yourcrosscreek.com. There's two people here right now. But here's, here's, here's some questions that I think you guys, that some people might have. So, John, you're saying God will restore everything someday, right? This idea of heaven and a new heaven and new earth someday when Jesus comes back. Yes. So what about right now? Like, what happens right after we die? You're talking about something in the future. What about what happens if we die in a week or in, you know, now? For those who trust in Jesus, who call themselves, who are Jesus followers, that eternal relationship begins the moment you die. In fact, it begins the moment you trust Jesus, but you see him, you are there in his presence the moment that you die. See, remember, heaven is all about relationship. And, and here's, here's what Jesus said. And Jesus replied, this is when Jesus is on the cross, the, somebody, the thief next to him says, Jesus, remember me, I want to be, I'll be remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, I promise you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, when we die, because we're both on the cross, we aren't getting out of this, you will be with me in paradise. Relationship and immediate. And Jesus also said, there's more than enough room, talking to his disciples before he dies, there's more, enough, more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to pre prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. You see the relationship again? Death means, for a Jesus follower, immediately being with Jesus. Now with this, there's space for two differing ideas. Because we don't know exactly what that means. And so there's room, there's space. See, when Jesus said, in my Father's house, there's many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. The rooms there, many people think, are, are the word is waiting rooms. A place to wait. A temporary place to wait. And when he says paradise, today you'll be with me in paradise. He's talking about a temporary place with Jesus, watching and waiting for the final restoration, the final resurrection. 
So that's one idea that, you know, we die immediately and we're immediately with Jesus, but we're not in the new heaven and new earth yet. They haven't happened yet. And we're kind of watching what's going on on earth, celebrating Jesus, seeing his master plan behind everything we couldn't understand before. That's one idea. Or another, one of the main ideas is that when we die, because God is outside of time, he's always in the eternal present, we go with him to that. We become out of time, and therefore, the new heaven and the new earth are right then. We're like immediately transported there because we're outside of time. We're in the eternal present. And so when we die, we're already immediately at the final restoration, the final resurrection. My personal thoughts, if you're interested, I know you didn't ask, but you can't because you're there and I'm here. My personal opinion is that it's more the, the waiting room idea, the watching idea. We die, we, we go be with Jesus, we understand his, his eternal plan, and we watch, and we get to see what's going on. I have some reasons for that. You can email me if you want to know them. But if you don't, that's fine too. Another very important question that I think is very common that a lot of you are asking, do pets go to heaven? I don't know. I really don't know. But in the first creation, even with, when it was perfect with Adam and Eve, whether that's an allegory or not, there were animals. So I personally think there are animals in the new heaven, in the new earth. It talks about a lion and a lamb laying down together, so there's at least two animals. Another question, what are we like in heaven? So when, when, when we're there, do we, do we look like this, or do we look hopefully better? And uh, often we think, you know, do we become angels when we are in heaven? No, it is so much better than becoming an angel. See, we stay us. We're still us. That us that's in our body, we're still us, but we're the best version of us. We're what we were designed to be from the very beginning. See, death really is just the relocation of the same person from one place to another. And so you might ask, well, okay, well, when I'm in heaven with my spiritual body or whatever that is, how old am I? That's a common question. I don't know, like 23 and a half, whatever your favorite age was. But here's, here's what Paul says about, you know, what that will be like. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? I hope you're not offended, but what a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. That's a cool analogy. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. So like when you put a seed in, you're not putting in a plant so you don't get out of that seed when it dies, an actual, another seed, you get the actual plant. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. So what, are, what will we, we look like? We don't know because we're just the seed right now. When we die and are resurrected, God will create something better, something more. Will we know each other in heaven? Right? Our, our loved ones have passed before us. We, we have kids that we want to know, that we want to see again someday when it's our time to pass. Here's the thing. We were created to have an eternal relationship with God and also with each other. See, for Jesus followers, our relationships really are just beginning. Those deep friendships that you've had with other Jesus followers, it's just the beginning. Those are relationships that will last forever. We will be with each other 
forever. No, there's no real goodbyes. And you're like, oh, that guy, I got to be with him forever? He's going to be the best version of himself, and so are you. And heaven will be big. You can like go to the other side. But no real goodbyes. Isn't that awesome? That's not like a pie-in-the-sky dream. Jesus proved that with his resurrection, his historical resurrection. You can go back a few messages and look at that if you want. Okay, but is there marriage in heaven? Like, I love, it's my, today is my 10-year anniversary with my wife. I would love to be married to her literally forever. Unfortunately, and probably fortunately for her, there is no marriage in heaven. Jesus actually says there is no marriage in heaven. They're not, people aren't given to be married in heaven. But it's better than that. Like, uh, the perfect, like, the, the greatest marriage on earth is nothing compared to the relationships we'll have in heaven. Think about that. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's no secrets that we need to keep or feel embarrassed about or anything like that. Because we are, love, we are loved perfectly by the God who is with us at that moment, and we can love each other perfectly. The, your marriage, though how, however great it is, is compared to what it can be in heaven, It'll be amazing. So if there's no marriage in heaven, kids, close your ears. If there's no marriage in heaven, is there sex in heaven? Like if you're 18 right now, you're probably wondering that, right? If you're 45, you're probably wondering that too. Probably not. There's a few of you are like, phew, but probably not. You can hope if you want. I don't have any proof there's not. You can hope, but you won't miss it. I don't miss it now. You won't miss it. See, that's like my like saying, well, I don't want to go to heaven because there's no marriage or there's no sex. That's like my, my seven-year-old saying, I don't want to leave the house. I like playing with my Legos when I'm trying to take him to Disneyland. Right? He doesn't want to leave because he thinks what he has is the best. I'm trying to take the kid to Disneyland. Well, not right now because it's closed, but in a couple of months. Trying to, you're not going to Disneyland in a couple of months, Danny. But you get what I'm saying? Right? I'll say, I don't, I don't want it because it's not going to be like it is here. Exactly. It's going to be so much better. Next question. If we're going to be there forever, what are we going to do in heaven? What do we actually do there? Like just walk around having whatever we want. Like, you know, the good place, that, that show, if you should check it out, it's really good. Um, like that idea of having everything we want at that moment, it sounds good at first, but let's be realistic. How quickly will you get bored of that? hundred years? thousand years? A million years? Everything you want? Like you don't have to try for anything? That sounds so boring, doesn't it? That sounds like hell. Now first, remember what we talked about with heaven. Remember our framework. It's all about relationship. The point of heaven is being perfectly loved and in the presence in perfect relationship with God himself. It's the relationship that makes the difference. So yes, if, it, if heaven is having just everything you want, if that was the point, it would end up like hell. Except this, the fact that God is there giving us an eternally fulfilling relationship. That's the point, is being with God. And there's this, Heaven, the new heaven, the new earth, is restoring the original creation to what it was always meant to be, the, the original design of what we were supposed to enjoy in, in this world. The earth, this new heaven, new earth, will be remade for us. If you read the creation account of Genesis, however you want to read it, it's always that it's good for us. The new creation will be new for us 
to enjoy forever. No timeline. No deadline. It's like, you know how your kids are getting extra spring break right now? It's like that. No gas lines. No toilet paper lines. No viruses. Just the most beautiful creation to explore and enjoy with perfect relationships forever. It's really, it's, this is probably a horrible analogy, but it's like playing Minecraft on creative mode, only so much better. You can explore anything and do anything and create anything, and it's worship. It says we're going to worship in heaven, not, and it's not singing a bunch of songs. It is living a life for God, with, with God. We're going to have jobs to do there. Adam and Eve had jobs to do. They took care of the garden. They worked the garden. Work can be worship. Like, I imagine it being able to hone skills, right? I'll actually be an amazing guitar player in heaven. I'll learn how to sing these crafts. I'm going to learn how to be a woodworker. I might even learn how to work on a car. I don't know. But doing that as worship. My dad, I know, wants to build a log cabin on this perfect lake in the mountains where every log is hand-cut and sanded and perfect as worship. Now, I know one thing for sure that we're going to do in heaven is party. Jesus talks about there being this feast with wine and, and great food, and it's a party. So one way or another, heaven is amazing. Heaven's going to be a party, and we're going to have purpose there. Another question, do babies go to heaven? When, when babies pass on, do they go to heaven? I think that's a great question. I think it's a very personal question. For some of you, it's an intensely personal question. And I'm not going to, you know, try to uh, fluff it over and and get all these, you know, just ooey-gooey ideas. We're not 100% sure. It's not 100% clear in the New Testament writings about babies. It doesn't talk about that specifically. However, tradition from the very beginning is this idea of the age of accountability. And, and for the Jewish people, it was around the age 13. Age of accountability, where at that point, you can understand what your choices are, uh, you can understand the truth of Jesus and God, and you are responsible for your decisions at the age of accountability. And so kids who haven't reached that, who don't understand, are with Jesus. And here's something when you, read, when you read the biographies of Jesus that we call the Gospels, he has such a soft spot for children. Like he's always yelling at people, get away from here, let the kids come to me. Leave them alone. It's all about bringing the kids to him. And so here's, here's kind of from everything I've seen about Jesus and read about Jesus and know about Jesus and God and Christianity, here's the deal. We are responsible to act on what we know, not what we don't know. See, the responsibility is for what we know, what we do with what we know. We're not responsible for, for what we don't know, for what's not our fault. In fact, this is what, what Jesus says here. Some Pharisees, the, the religious rulers, who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? Jesus, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Are you saying that, that we, we're blind, we don't? We don't know the truth. And Jesus says, well, if you actually didn't know, you wouldn't be guilty because you didn't know better. But you claim you do know better. 
You claim you can see, and you don't act on it. You are guilty. See, God is fair, loving, all loving, and he's just. He's perfectly loving. And so in or out of the womb, every baby is a person who God planned from the beginning of time. Why, does, why do some people leave earlier than others? We don't know yet. Someday we will, but right now we don't know. What we do know is God is loving and God is perfectly fair and just. And every baby is a soul that God knows and that God loves. And from everything I've learned about who God is, I personally am 100% sure that children who go on before us go to be with Jesus. All right. That's good, John. You've answered some really important questions, especially that pet one. But you're, you're kind of skirting the subject, aren't you? All right, I've, I've heard about heaven and hell. What about hell? You thought I would skip it, didn't you? Well, that, that passage we read about you know, heaven, the new heaven and the new earth coming down and God living with his people, most people stop it where we stopped it. A lot of times you just stop it there because that's the, that's the happy part. But that passage goes on. Here's, here's what it says. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That is harsh. I do not like that. Does that mean I don't believe hell is real? I do believe hell is real. Do you know why I believe hell is real? Because Jesus said it was. And as we often say, if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm going to believe everything they say, especially about what happens after you die. Jesus said hell was real, so I believe it is. I don't like the idea of hell. I don't want to talk about the idea of hell. I want to be able to explain it away. I wish I could just avoid it. But, and you know this truth, just because we don't like something doesn't mean it isn't true. Just because we don't like it doesn't mean we can say, oh yeah, well, that's, that's you know, hyperbole. That's not true. So Jesus said hell's real. I believe hell's real. If heaven is about enjoying a perfect relationship with God and others forever, I would think hell is probably the opposite. See, hell is the absence of a relationship with God. Spiritual death. Talked about this is the, the second death, right? The separation of the soul, of the spirit, of us from God. Spiritual death. What exactly is that like? You know, is there fire and, or is that just kind of, you know, imagery? I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> Jesus experienced it, though. Jesus knew what it meant to be separated from God the Father. See, on the cross, when he took our sins on him, when, when God couldn't look upon our sin because Jesus was, was burying them, when he was paying for them, he yelled out, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? He was separated from God the Father because of our sin. He knew what it was like to be separated until he conquered death, until he conquered sin with his resurrection. Jesus experienced that separation so we don't have to. So maybe that leads us to another question. How good do you have to be to get into heaven? a good question. Like how, how many good things do I have to do to outweigh the bad things so I can go to 
go to heaven. Or you could say, can I, can I be a good person and go to heaven, but still, like, not be a Christian, but can I just be a good person and, and go to heaven? Like, how good do you have to be? Do you just have to have, like, choose to have a lot of faith in something, and, and that's good enough to get you into heaven? Well, here's what, here's what Paul wrote. For everyone has sinned. We all, and that's, that's a harsh word, right? You're probably like, why am I listening to this? He's talking about sin all of a sudden. For everyone has sinned. You've all, we've all hurt people on purpose because we wanted something more than them. We've all chosen ourselves over others. We all fall short of God's glorious standard of perfectly loving him and others. And I am sure, I don't know all of you, I can't see you all, like I said, but I'm sure you're a great person. I'm sure you're awesome. I'm sure the people around you love you. But nobody can earn heaven. You can never be good enough to earn heaven. We've all sinned. We've all hurt others. We all have that stain in our past that we can't get rid of on our own. We've all fallen short. In fact, trying to get to heaven by being good enough is like going to the, to the docks on, in Lincoln City and trying to jump to Hawaii. Right? Some of us will get further than others. Some of us will drop like a rock. But no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we train, no matter how many things we try to jump with, we don't make it. We all fall way, way short. And it's the same with meeting the, the good standard to get into heaven. We can't earn it on our own. We're not good enough to get there. I know it for myself, and I'm guessing you know it for yourself too. And so you might be saying, well, then, so after all I've done in my past, like all those things that I don't know about and maybe you haven't even told anybody, after all of that, how can I earn my place? You said we can't do anything about this sin. How can I earn my place into heaven? You can't. You can't earn it. Here's what, here's what Paul wrote. Yet God in his grace, we're all sinners, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Who does it? God does it. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Somebody had to pay. If God is just, somebody has to pay for the evil that's been done, for the sin that's been done. Jesus was that sacrifice. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Don't change it yet. People are made right. People are made perfect in God's eyes when they believe, choose to believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, that he is so loving, he made a way for us to be with him. For he himself is fair and just. He made a way for all of us to be with him, yet still satisfying justice by having Jesus die. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. We can't earn it. You don't earn it. He is the one who makes us right. Again, it's all about relationship. Do we trust that he loves us enough to provide a way to be with him forever? Our access to heaven is not what we do. Our access to heaven is Jesus and trusting what he did. 
You may say, well, I've kind of heard that before, John, but I always had this question. So what about people who never heard about Jesus? If God is fair and just, what about people who have never heard about Jesus? If he's the only way and they've never heard, well, here's, again, something Paul wrote. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. We've seen the world. We've marveled at it. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, that there's something that started all this somewhere, somehow. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. See, I firmly believe that God is so loving, so fair, and so just that for every single person, he gives them a chance to hear in some way who he is and what it means to trust him. They might not know the actual name. They might not know the actual details, but in some way they know that there is a God who loves them and that's who they need to be saved. And by the way, they might not have heard all the details, but you have. So what do you do with, with that? You say, well, you know, I, when I die, I'll, I'll have a chance to kind of decide and make, make, make up for things, right? This idea of purgatory. What about purgatory? This idea there's this, this place where you pay off the bad that you did, and then you get to go into heaven. There is nothing in the New Testament writings or even the Old Testament writings that mention anything about a place to earn credits to pay off your sins. It's just not there. It's something that kind of, you know, was a nice idea that got made up. See, what we choose to trust now is what will determine our relationship then. There's no, there's no do-overs after we die. What we choose to trust now will determine our relationship then. Now is the time to decide. And so my question for you, if you've, if you've been watching this series, or maybe this is your first one you've watched, I've, in a way, allowed you to ask a lot of questions. And I think it's, it's fair for me to get to ask you one question. In light of everything you've heard today, and maybe you've heard in this series, will you trust Jesus for this life and the next? Will you choose to trust him instead of yourself to be transformed in this life, to experience the new life in the future? See, Jesus is the only one who predicted that he would die and come back and then actually died and came back. Don't you think we we should trust what he says happens when we die? Don't you think we should believe him when he tells us what our choices are and, and what it takes to be there? And here's the thing. Here's the beauty of this heaven idea. The one who judges, who experiences heaven, Jesus, is the same one who died to secure your place in heaven. The one who says you're in, you're out, is the exact same person who died so you would have a place there. Isn't that amazing? He wants to enjoy, he wants to enjoy a relationship with you that can actually start right now wherever you are, wherever you're watching or listening, that can start now and last forever. Will you trust him to give it to you? Think about it. If we know we have this relationship forever, this perfect relationship with God, with Jesus forever, What's there to be afraid of? Like if we know this is the starting point and it, it, it just progresses to better and better, what is there to be afraid of right now? Is there, 
losing our reputation because somebody thinks that we're now a Jesus follower, losing money because because we we give to others. Should we be? Do we need to be afraid of momentary pain, or maybe even do we need to be afraid right now of of this virus that's that's going around and changing our society for however long? Imagine the courage, the compassion the patience you could have if you truly didn't need to fear death. Imagine a life where you did not need to fear death. So again, will you trust him for this life and the next? See, when you know who secures your future, you can experience true life now. You can be free of worry, anxiety, You can experience true life now because you know who holds your future. And one more more verse I want to give you. You can know for sure. Jesus' best friend wrote this. He said, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, who who choose to believe in Jesus so that you may hopefully have eternal life, so that you may, you know, guess about if you're good enough or not to go to heaven. No, so that you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have eternal life you can know for sure. And then what is there to be afraid of? Will you trust him in this life and the next? So what I want to do just really quick is give you, I I feel like I'd, I'd be wrong not to give you that chance to accept, to trust Jesus now for this life and the next. And so if that makes sense to you, you're like, yeah, I want that. I want that security. I want to trust Jesus. I know I can't do enough to be good enough to get to heaven on my own. I I can't. I want to trust what Jesus did for me, who paid the way. I'm just going to give a really easy, simple prayer. There's nothing magical about this. You don't even have to say it out loud. You can say it in your head, in the actual you part of you. And it's just you telling him that you want to trust him, that you're done trusting yourself. You can repeat after me out loud or in your, in your heart if you want. Jesus, Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for making a way for me to enjoy an eternal relationship with you forever. I'm done trusting myself. I'm done trying to be good enough. I admit that I have not been good enough, that I can't be good enough. So I choose to trust what you did on the cross to save me, to forgive me, to make me new, and to secure my place with you forever. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that is something that in those words or or not that you told God, that's amazing. That means you are secure forever. And we want to celebrate that with you. So since we're not here in person, if you could email us at info at yourcrosscreek.com or just write us a, a, a message on Facebook or wherever you are. Let us know so that we can celebrate with you and we can kind of talk about what that means and, and where maybe the steps you can take to go from there. But uh, again, thank you for, for watching. Thank you for listening. Love each other. Stay clean. Stay safe. And we will see you very soon. Thanks again. <laughs>